Once was a land of woe and strife Where the people were bereft of hope They prayed to their gods of might and light To deliver the heroes of old Instead they got Heroes, did you hear the quotes in my voice of moral ambiguity? They may help or may not help you at all, depends on what's in it for them. They kick and they punch and they maul and they smash, they lie and they scheme and they burn and they slash. Succeed or fail, it adds to the tell, dungeons and debacles starts now. Hello and welcome to this after-school special episode of the Dungeons & Debacles podcast. I am your host and Dungeon Master, Kevin. If this is your first time listening, I suggest you go back to at least episode 29, Welcome to Karn Lee, or none of this episode will make sense. This is a special bonus episode where we hear the backstory of Talia, the poor little street urchin and thief our adventurers took in after she pickpocketed them on the streets of Karn Lee. This episode is set up more like a radio drama than a roleplay session, and we hope to do more of these in the future, to tell the story of other things going on, past and present, in our homebrewed world of Sulel. I hope you enjoy it, and without further ado, on to the story. Talia woke early that morning. It was already warm. The heat rarely breaks in Carnley in the summer. Light had just begun creeping into the windows of their small room in the house of their benefactors. Talia shook her mother. The woman's skin was sticky and cold. The sheets were soaked through with sweat. Mama? Mama, wake up! The three-year-old girl tried desperately to wake her, but the woman would only moan, her eyes not opening. Talia climbed out of bed and opened the door to their bedroom. Her tiny feet padded against the floor as she ran down the hall to her sister's room. She threw open the door without knocking and climbed into the child's bed. She pulled away the sheets and began shaking the girl. Jessica, Momo won't wake up. Jessica really wasn't Talia's sister. She was the girl that her mother wet-nursed for. Her mother was taken on as a nanny because of the girl's attachment to the woman and Talia. Although they were not blood, Talia and her mother had always been treated like members of the family, and Talia was too young to understand the exact relationship between the members in the household. All she knew was that when they ate dinner, it was with the family. When the winter festival came around, they all got presents for each other, and Talia and Jessica were the luckiest girls in the world to have two loving mothers and a father who doted on them equally. Talia's sister woke with a start and wiped her eyes. Talia was crying and scared. She shook Jessica again. Jessica, Momo won't wake up. Jessica grabbed Talia by the arm, and they jumped out of her bed. They ran across the hall and opened the door to Jessica's parents' room. Both the man and the woman were still asleep. The girls jumped into their bed and began jumping up and down to wake the slumbering couple. Talia yelled, Momo won't wake up. The man and woman groggily got out of their bed and went to check on Talia's mother. Talia didn't remember much of what happened next. Men in crow masks came to visit. The other members of the family were not allowed in, and she wasn't allowed to see them. 
Then, all of a sudden, the commotion ended. Later that day, men in white tunics came and took her mother away. Jessica's father explained to Talia what death was. She didn't like it. Days later, the sickness took Jessica and her parents, and Talia was alone. The last thing she remembered of her home was being led away from it to a cart by a tall man in a crow mask, and looking back at the house as a fat man with greasy gray hair painted a red X on the door. Talia wasn't allowed to attend the funeral, as her new home at the orphanage was too far away. It took a long time for her to fully understand the truth, that her mother wasn't coming back and she had no one. She was alone. She spent the next year sharing a crib with two other children in a hot, dark room, sitting in her own filth. As bad as it was, she would remember later in her life that this is one of the better orphanages. She was fed twice a day, and at least one of those meals included meat. Talia would soon learn that there were worse places. Though she couldn't imagine it as a three-year-old girl born into a privileged household, though not privileged herself. The next year, she was moved to an orphanage for older children. It was a three-story building in the warehouse district and owned by the city. But it was run by a monster of a woman. She shared a small bed with four other little girls lying widthwise on the bed, head to feet, just to fit. It was a neat but cramped room with no furnishings other than the bed and a chamber pot. Six days a week, they were sent to work weaving rugs. Their earnings were paid directly to the orphanage. It was supposed to go to help take care of them, but the mistress, Elin Jourdain, filled her own purse with the silver. The children met in the small dining hall once per day and got a humble meal of gruel, but once a week they got meat and fruit to prevent the scurvy. Talia rarely ate on meat days. It was more likely to make her sick than not. She would be beaten by Mistress Elin for not appreciating the good food she was given, but it was better than vomiting all night. Mistress Elin ruled this orphanage with fear. If one of the girls forgot to thank her for their meal or say goodnight to her, she would beat them with canes. And if she was really upset, a stocking filled with stones, always on the stomach and back where the bruises would not show. Officials from the city would inspect the orphanage once a month to make sure the mistress was taking good care of them, but she had enough coin saved up that she could buy off the inspectors. All the children were expected to be on even best behavior and not to speak while the inspectors were there. Most of the children were frightened to lose what little they had, and at the end of the day, no one really cared about skinny, dirty kids or their care. Talia tried to run away several times. Seeing the street kids from her window with full bellies and nicer clothes, though she never got out of the building, she was caught before she could make it out the front door. Always. She learned not to tell the other children her plans. There are always gossips and talkers who would tell the mistress to curry her favor. The street kids were never far from her mind. She dreamed of being one of them. Her antics got her sent back to Mistress Elin. Talia hated that woman, hated that place, and tried to run away every night, once making it as far as getting to the front door before she was discovered and dragged back to her bed. Mistress Elin even tried locking the young girl away in a room by herself 
starving, and beating her as punishment, but she always found a way out. Finally, Mistress Elin even resorted to chaining Talia to a bed in that room at all times. No work for her until she learned to behave. Nowhere to relieve herself, her own filth piling up in the corners as she tried to keep herself as far away from it as possible. She received a single cup of water a day, food only when the mistress was feeling generous, and then it was only what the other girls wouldn't eat. Talia was stuck in that room for so long she lost track of time, constantly trying to pick the lock, wiggle out of the ankle cuff, anything to escape. It took nearly two years until finally, one hot summer night, she was skinny enough that the cuff couldn't hold her anymore. She tested the cuff daily, but today was the day she was able to wriggle free. She waited until dark and the house was still. If the room didn't teach her to behave, it did teach her patience. She quietly opened the bedroom door and looked out into the dark hallway. She made her way out so slowly and quietly that a 30 second walk took her nearly 30 minutes. Talia quietly opened the front door and for the first time in her short, terrible life, smelled something that she hadn't smelled since she was very little. Freedom. She made her way out of the building and out onto the street. She never even glanced back at the orphanage. As Talia walked down the dark street, she thought to herself, one day, when I'm stronger, I will have my revenge. It took a week of begging on the street, eating from trash bins, and dodging the guards to find where the street kids were hanging out. She would follow the other children when she could find them, but they always seemed to slip out of her gaze every night. Finally, an older boy, Keelan, though she didn't know his name at the time, came up behind her just as her target slipped away. And why aren't you following us? Talia was startled, and she turned around quickly. She looked down at her feet. I saw the street kids from my window at the orphanage. They are always so well fed and their clothes have almost no holes. I, I just wanted to be like them. She blushed looking up at him. I have experience weaving and it has made my fingers nimble. I, I can help patch clothes, anything, if you just help me. The older boy put his hand on her shoulder. Come with me, little one. Tonight, you fill your belly. But tomorrow, your training begins. They walked for a while, down this alley, and then another, and another, until they finally stopped. He began to lead her to a secret door covered by a broken fence she hadn't noticed. Now she understood why she kept losing the kids at this corner. I'm Keelan. What can I call you? Talia. She whispered. They rounded a corner and Talia's eyes got wide with excitement. There were kids playing, food cooking over fires, and makeshift cots. For the first time, in a long time, Talia felt like she was home. Talia's new companions, these red talons, laid down for the night in the posh rooms of a grand hotel in Carnley. She could not have imagined such luxury just weeks ago when she met these travelers. She found out they were no easy marks when she tried to steal the bag at the bard's hip. 
She could not have known how dangerous they were at the time. Now she was one of them. Now she was dangerous too. She was so much stronger now. She had armor and weapons, and she was back in Carnley. This would be the night of retribution. She laid awake in bed. In the room was her new friend Juliet, who had taught her how to read, clothed her, fed her, and made her powerful. As much as she liked the Dragonborn, she didn't know she could trust her newfound friend with her plan. Juliet seems flexible, but she did not know how far that flexibility stretched. Talia waited and controlled her breathing, pretending she was asleep. And she listened until Juliet's breath became long and the dragonborn began softly snoring. Talia had put her armor and daggers in her new cloak and put them beside the bed. Slowly, so slowly, she crept out of bed, gathered her things, and walked across the dark room and out the bedroom door. She got dressed and armed herself in the hall before going down the steps and out of the inn. Juliet heard the door close and rose out of the bed. She waited a few minutes before she realized Talia wasn't coming back. She got dressed and walked out of the inn looking for Talia when she saw the girl walking down the street and into an alley. She began to follow the girl. Talia slipped into an alley. She had long overdue business this night, alone. She knew where she was going. She had been planning and looking forward to this day for a long time. As she made her way through the back alleys and across the King's Bridge, her heart began to race. She knew now, after proving her worth to the group, that she has a place with them. They will be leaving the city soon and this must be done before they leave. Juliet had been following the girl at some distance behind her. The Dragonborn didn't stop her. She just wanted to see what the girl was up to and to make sure she didn't get into trouble. Talia had mentioned that she had business to take care of in the city, but wanted to do it herself. The Dragonborn thought she would follow in case the girl needed her help. After walking for some time, the orphanage came into view, and Talia ducked into a nearby alley, watching. She waited until five in the morning, when the children would be leaving to go to their jobs. She made her way, careful not to be seen, to the back door of the building she once, loathingly, called home. Talia pulled her new favorite possession from her belt the thieves' tools Juliet had bought her. She inserted them into the lock, and in a short time, she hears a satisfying click. She opens the door, slips in, and pulls the door behind her, but leaving it unlocked. Once Talia was inside, she could feel the fleas start to climb her legs, but she ignored them. The building was a large, squat, rectangle filled with bunk bed style cots that stacked three high. The curtains were all pulled in the building. The mistress would not want people seeing the reality inside. Dim moonlight filtered through the thin fabric of the curtains, enough for Talia to see by. 
though she could find her way in the dark. She went to the mistress's office. The door was open when everyone was gone. There was nothing to steal in the office itself, so no reason to lock it while she was away. It was a small room, maybe 10 feet by 10 feet. A small, wood-burning stove sat in one corner of the room, and a desk and chair sat in the center of it. Searching through the office, Talia finds what she was looking for. A stocking filled with smooth stones and the key to the office, still in the lock. Talia heard the front door open, and she hid behind the office door. Mistress Elan, a large, older woman, looked motherly and sweet, her round face in ample everything. Hiding the monster within, walked into the office. She walked behind her desk and was startled as Talia closed and locked the door. She slipped the key into her pocket. What? What is going on? Unlock the door this instant, child! The woman was indignant. She had no idea she was in danger. This was her orphanage and had no reason to think otherwise. Never would she have thought that paying off the guards and inspectors to ignore the sounds coming from this building would play such a large role in the following minutes. Hello, mistress. Do you remember me? No, why would I? Unlock that door, child. The hour's early and I have no time for your foolishness. Why aren't you at work? Open that door and go before I become even more angry. Mistress Elan sits down at her desk, expecting her instructions to be followed. The mistress opens a drawer in her desk without looking at it and reaches for something. After a second, she looks down, not finding what she was looking for. Looking for this? The girl closed the distance between them and held the stocking up, filled with stones. It was a thick men's pair. The material doubled up so it could hold more weight without breaking when it hit flesh. Talia waited for the mistress Elan to look up before swinging the stocking at the woman and hitting her in the temple. The mistress's vision fades and goes to black. When Mistress Elan regained consciousness, she reached for the newly sore spot on the side of her head and realized the girl had tied her tightly to her chair. Talia was in front of her in the dimly lit room on the desk, playing with a pair of daggers, her nimble fingers flipping them around. Mistress Elan began to scold the girl when she realized there was something in her mouth. It took a moment, but the hard, round lumps told her her favorite weapon of discipline had been shoved between her teeth. That thing hurts, doesn't it? Of course, you had to have known that. Why else would you use it as punishment and make a, make sure that you only hit us on the belly and back? Don't want to show bruises. Mistress Elan tried to say something. Her eyes grew wide. She tried to scream. But it was so muffled she could barely hear it, let alone someone outside. There it is. Fear. I was waiting for that. I lived in this hellhole for four years, and I don't remember a time here when I wasn't in fear of some sort. Fear of not eating. Fear of being beaten for the slightest misdeed. Fear that you'd forget me in that cell you called a private bedroom, and I would die alone and starving, my own filth piling up around me. Recognition comes across the mistress's face. 
followed by real panic. She remembered this girl, though she didn't recognize her clean and healthy. She knew what she had done to her. She knew if there was one girl in this place that had a real reason to kill her, it was Talia. There you go. You do remember. Mistress Elin, I have been waiting for this day for a long time. Three years, four months, and nineteen days to be exact. Talia hopped off the desk and leaned into the mistress's face. I was six years old when you chained me to that bed. Did you know that? Six. Talia stabbed one of her daggers down into the left arm of the chair. The blade grazed the woman's arm and drew a trickle of blood. Mistress Elin whimpered at the sight, and then a little more at the pain. The blade was sharp, and it took a moment for the pain to register. Talia pulled the dagger from the arm of the chair. Oops, that was unintentional. As I was saying, I was six. Do you know what that that kind of treatment does to a six-year-old? It really screws with a kid's mind, makes them find a way to entertain themselves while they're alone. I'm sure it's broken a lot of kids' spirits. Not me. Talia stabbed the knife down again, this time between the woman's fingers, grazing the soft flesh between her pinky and ring finger, drawing yet another trickle of blood. Mistress Elin whimpered again. I'd say that was unintentional, but I don't think you'd believe me a second time. Now, where was I? Oh yes, that's right. I didn't- it didn't break my spirit. It could have. You left me in there for two years. Two years! Because I was fortunate that you weren't feeding me much. The shit could have been much deeper in the room. At least piss eventually dries. You know, if you hadn't fed me the night I'd, I'd escaped, I don't think I would have had the strength to. Talia stood in front of the woman. Her heart was racing with excitement, seeing the woman who had tortured her when she was so young and helpless, looking at her with the same fear that Talia had felt for so many years, was satisfying in a visceral way. Talia wanted more though. She had no intention of leaving this woman alive. I never asked anything of you. Never asked why, never asked to be let out. I knew you wouldn't let me go and it would only make you think you'd gotten to me. I will now, though, ask something of you, that is. And if you grant my request, I might let you live. You see, when I was stuck in that room, the only thing that kept me going was dreaming about how I would exact my revenge on you. I'm going to need a very good reason not to kill you after dreaming about it for so long. Mistress Elin nodded emphatically. Talia held one of her daggers to the woman's throat with her left hand, and slipped the other dagger in its sheath at her right. If you so much as speak above a whisper, I'll slit your throat. Talia ripped the makeshift gag from the woman's mouth and felt several of the woman's teeth break. Anything. Just name it. My money is in my... Mistress Elin stopped pleading abruptly as Talia pressed the dagger harder into the woman's throat. A thin line of blood dripped down where the sharp blade cut through the skin there. I don't care about your money. Right now, I want you to beg. Talia was close to the woman's face now. She could smell the acrid scent of urine and feces as the woman soiled herself. It mixed unpleasantly with the woman's foul breath. Beg for your life. Look me in the eye and tell me you were sorry. The woman began to stammer out her apology. 
I'm, I'm, I'm so s sorry. P please don't kill me. Tears flowed freely down the mistress's face now. Talia took her other dagger out of its sheath. The mistress tried to see what Talia was doing with her right hand, but her vision was filled with the girl's face. Not good enough. Tell me why you are sorry. Tell me why I should let you live. Talia ran the other dagger along the woman's cheek, slowly, putting just enough pressure to split her skin and draw blood. The mistress gasped with pain. Mistress Elan's words began to spill out of her quickly, her eyes never leaving Talia's. I'm sorry for beating you. I'm sorry for starving you. You're sorry for chaining me to a bed? To rot without even a pot to piss in? Yes, yes. I'm sorry I changed you to the bed. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The woman broke down into sobs. Talia pressed the tip of her right blade into the woman's chin. Her left still pressed firmly against her throat, lifting the woman's gaze back to her own. Not good enough. Talia held the mistress's gaze and stabbed the woman in the chest. Finding the sweet spot between the ribs, she buried the sharp blade to the hilt in the woman's heart. She watched as the life left the woman's eyes. Talia pulled her left hand to the side, slicing the woman's throat for good measure. Then, pulling her other dagger from the woman's chest, she wiped the blood off the dead mistress's dress and put them back in their sheaths. Taking the key from her pocket, she unlocked the door and opened it to make her escape. But she was met by the dragonborn. She wants so badly to call her mother. Juliet, how long have you been there? <clears throat> long enough. Let's take care of this mess first. Then we need to talk. Talia nodded. She looked behind her and then at the dragonborn. Perhaps you're right. I had planned on just walking out of here, but it would probably be better if they didn't know she was murdered. It is enough that it was done by my own hand. Juliet and Talia undo the knots holding the woman to the chair and toss the remnants into the nearby trash bin. Talia carefully placed the stone-filled stocking back into its place in the drawer. Before she closed it, she noticed a pipe and some tobacco. She packed the pipe and put it in the dead woman's mouth. Poor thing must have fallen asleep while smoking her pipe. It's too bad she didn't notice her lighting stick was all the way out before throwing it in the dustbin. Talia looked pointedly at the trash can filled with paper, rope, and used lighting sticks. Juliet used her fire breath to light the bin, desk, and body on fire. It wasn't a very large fire, but everything was made of wood, and the pair could tell it wouldn't be long before the entire building would be up in a blaze. Uh, we should leave before someone discovers the fire. It'll be much harder to leave with people watching and the guards all over the place. The pair slipped out of the back of the soon-to-be pile of ashes. They took a roundabout way through the alleys until they were a safe distance away. Having slipped suspicion and made it safely away, they crossed the King's Bridge into the good part of town. Juliet looked for a quiet tavern that they could talk without being overheard. After some searching, they found a place that suited their needs. A quiet all-night spot that had a private room usually reserved for parties and the like. Juliet explained to the waitress that her ward wasn't feeling well and had a headache, and inquired about a quiet, private place to eat. Oh, you poor thing! 
Must be getting close to your first visit from Aunt Flo. Well, I get terrible headaches too. Of course you can sit in there. I'll make you up a special tea that always helps me that time of the month. Talia feigned appreciation as the waitress showed them to the room. They ordered sandwiches to go with the special tea that Talia was getting, and Juliet asked for a cup of the tea as well. Once their food got there and the waitress was sure that Talia was situated and comfortable, she left them to resume her duties. Okay, Talia. Do you want to explain to me who that woman was and why you, uh, why you did what you did? Talia took a sip of the tea as she gathered her thoughts. The tea was actually pretty good for something supposed to be medicinal. It tasted of rose hips and honey and other things she couldn't name. Though it had a slight bitterness and it was noticeable. She wouldn't know this, but it had willow bark in it for pain. The waitress really was a sweetheart. Where do I begin? When I was three years old, my mother died. I don't even remember what she looks like anymore, but I was thrown into an orphanage, and um, the first one wasn't so bad, I guess, but the second one, that was the one that Mistress Elin controlled. She, she was a terrible human being. She would beat us if we didn't say thank you for food. She'd beat us if she thought we were doing something wrong. And always, always on the back and belly, always where it hurt the most. I, I tried to run away several times, but that just made her lock me in a room and chain me to a bed. I was stuck in that room for two years. Two years in that room to sit and do nothing but try to escape. When I was too weak to struggle, I had to find a way to stay sane. I felt like if I didn't focus on something, I would die for sure. So I focused on the only thing I could think of. I would get back at the woman who did this to me. So now you're with us and your revenge is complete. What now? Now, I mean, now I go with you guys. Honestly, if it if it hadn't been for meeting you guys, I don't know if I would have had the strength or courage to do it. I, I struggled for so long on my own. For a few years, I was doing okay. I'd hooked up with a street gang of kids, and we would busk or pit pocket to make ends meet, but we never went hungry, and we never went work cold. The leader got arrested about a year ago, and the rest of us scattered. For a couple months, there were a few of us watching out for each other, but orphanages offer rewards for street kids turned in, and the people I was with were desperate enough to try to take me to one. I overheard the conversation the night before they planned to, to take me, and ran before they could. I don't hate them, though. It's not easy living on the streets, and we were all desperate. Eight months later, I met you guys. Well, I can definitely understand living on the streets, being part of a gang, and being turned in, or attempted to. I wasn't exactly an orphan myself, but I fell into a bad crowd. So I can definitely understand what you've been going through there. As for the orphanage, I... I really can't speak for it, but what, from what I heard, it just... It breaks my heart, you know? I mean, you're an innocent girl, you're... You deserve protection, you deserve a house, heat, warmth, clothes, I mean... When we first met you, I was not surprised that you were trying to steal, but... 
I felt like I understood. The sad part is, when I first met that woman, she looked so kind. I thought I was lucky. And then I see you guys, and and you don't seem kind or friendly, but I was was wrong. And I really feel like I have a home with you, even if it's not a structure, but like a place. A, A place where I belong. Well, I have to say, we weren't expecting something like this. We weren't expecting you, but you've got the heart, you've got the spirit, and you have the skills. I have to applaud you for that. You certainly did better than our last companion. <laughs> uh, but it's it's nice having you around, I do have to say. And no matter what bad things you did, what you had to do to survive, I, I just think maybe you should stay with us a bit longer than just our stay in the city. I, I like that. But, uh, may I ask a little more about why you bothered to kill her? It seemed a little extreme to me. I'm no stranger to it, and neither are you, but... Well, the way I see it, if I just beat her or, or done something else, then she would just continue doing what she did to those kids. It's... it's not right. She, I'm not the only person that she locked in that room. I'm just the one who stayed there the longest. The way I saw it, the only option was was to kill her. And you were sure about that. Do you regret your choice at all? Should I? No. No, I think you did perfectly well. I just made, wanted to make sure that you weren't doing something that you didn't want to do. If you've got, if you've got things that you want, clearly defined goals, clear morality, as long as you put your mind to it and do the best you can, doesn't matter what you're doing. Doesn't matter if you're killing people, if you're feeding people. You've got conviction, and that's probably the most important thing. I don't know if you worship any gods or take stock in the supernatural or. Who knows what, but as long as you have that faith, that conviction, that strength, that's all that really matters. Do stuff for you. Don't worry about your place in the world. Just focus on what you want for your world. Uh, Sorry, I'm getting a bit preachy. Uh, How's the tea? Surprisingly tasty, even though it's supposed to be a special tea. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Dungeons and Debacles podcast. If I could ask a halfling-sized favor, give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It's the best way to support us. New episodes come out every Monday, so make sure to check your podcast app. Do you have an idea to make the podcast better? Tell us about it on Twitter or Facebook. You can also check out our website to see all the maps, lore, and characters at DungeonsandDebaclesPodcast.com. And now a word from our fantasy sponsor. Do you want to make more gold? Of course, we all do. Find out how easy it is to do with your Journeyman certification with the Carly Institute Correspondent School. You can train for a new trade without setting foot in a classroom. 
Choose from any of these courses. Livery, Weapon and Armor Repair, Bowery Fletcher, Leather Tanning, Blacksmithing, Child Daycare, Cart Management, Bookkeeping, Law Assistant, Dentist, Bloodletting, and Inn Management. Or get your specialized degree in Arcana, Alchemy, Herbalism, or Cartography. Compare your current salary with the gold you could be making in any one of these careers. Send a Raven to Carly Vocational Correspondent School to start your quest for a better life. The music you heard on this episode was Private Reflection, Fairytale Waltz, Crowdhammer, Ossuary, A Beginning, Road to Hell, Tempting Secrets, and Teller of the Tales by Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License. You can find that license at creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 3.0.